Alright, well I feel like I have to clear the air, because the air's thick when we're reading the text and it says uh, something along the lines of eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you are new to Christianity, if you're new to following Jesus, or if you're just kind of on the periphery on the outside and you're like, man, I'm attending church for the first time, and literally they get up, they open up the Bible and they say, what we need to do with Jesus is eat his flesh and drink his blood. If that feels weird to you, let's just clear the air and say that's an analogy. Jesus spoke in many parables and used many analogies to, to help people understand a deeper meaning. And so it's not a passage about cannibalism, but it is a passage about craving and about control. And so it's a passage about craving because as we walk through John 6 with one another, we're going to see in this text that the people are craving to be filled and satisfied. And the crowds that are following Jesus, they are looking for something. And so they have this inner hunger within them, and they're seeking Jesus out to understand, maybe could this man fill the need? But it's also a passage about, uh, sorry, the other C left my mind, control, because we see people in the text defining Jesus. And so even though Jesus has a very clear definition of who he is, we see people in the text that are, are looking at him and trying to put their finger on who he is and even say who he is. And before we kind of jump on their case and jump on them for doing that with control and with their craving, we have to know and understand that we do the same thing, right? And so when we think about our life, we all are kind of two-limbed creatures, right? And so one of our limbs here representing our craving problem, we all crave after things. Part of it's God's design, but because of brokenness, those cravings we also satisfy with the wrong things, but then we also have this other limb that likes to play control. And so we like to be able to have the reins in life. And so as we look at this text, it's not just a them thing, but it's a us thing because we all kind of have this tension every day when we're waking up in the morning where we're living to, to satisfy our own needs. And we often try to define Jesus so that we can control what our life looks like. Because when we get to define Jesus or define God, we then feel the freedom to define our life. And so, for example, if we look at Jesus as historical only, we can set him to the side and be like, yeah, we've talked about him, we've approached him before. But because he's in the past, there's not a lot of present implications. And so many people, Christian and non-Christian, treat Jesus as historic. Other times, people look at him as, as just good. He, he's good, maybe not God, but he's good. And so they'll put him on the same level as Gandhi or the same level as Mother Teresa. He, he's a great humanitarian that lived and he's behind us. So again, doesn't have to have great implication on my life now. And then there's others who, who will look at Jesus and say, he was just a spiritual figure. He, he's like the, the Dalai Lama of his day. He's like Muhammad. And then there's some who, who like to, to look at it all as fable. It's, it's something that people made up so that they could get through a hard season and they wanted to have an idea of, of is there a God maybe? And so they made this stuff up to find peace in that way. And so some people look at Jesus like Alice in Wonderland or, or our green ogre friend Shrek, like just a, a written fable and, and nothing more. And that's what we do with Jesus. We have this craving but we also love that control. And when we're living in that control, we love putting God in a box. Because when we cage God, 
and put him in a box. We get to live life however we want to. We don't have to worry about conviction. We don't have to worry about some moral code or some law that was written in here that we should abide by. We don't have to worry about an ongoing daily relationship with Jesus because if we've put him in the box, if we've caged him up and called him historic, he has no implication on us now. And so this morning as we're in John 6 with one another, the driving question that I need to be asking myself, that, that you guys need to be asking yourselves, is how do we define Jesus? And the first reason we're looking at that question is because much of the text has to do with that very thing. We love preaching through books of the Bible chapter by chapter. And so because it's present in the text, we're going to go there. But it's also important because culturally today, I think many people are trying to define Jesus in such a way that they can live however they want. And so oftentimes people are making Jesus far smaller and far less than who he really is. And so our outline this morning as we look to understand the true Jesus. First, we're going to look at the seven ways that the world has defined Jesus. And then second, we will look at the way that Jesus has defined Jesus. And so I will pray for us and we'll begin to walk through John 6 with one another. And so, Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that we can lift our voices in song. And we can sing about how you are the Lion of Judah. We can sing about the fact that, that you make covenant promises to us and you fulfill them. And so God, I pray that as we open up the word, that our hearts would be ready to see and understand who you are based off of the definition that you have given yourself, God. And Lord, I just pray that this morning we'd be ready to sacrifice our, our idols and our beliefs in weaker moments, God, that we would be able to, to put our finger on the thing that we, at times, are defining you as. And so, Lord, we just pray over this morning together in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll go ahead and turn to John 6. If you're not already there from when we did the scripture reading, we'll be in John 6 for uh, the remainder of our time. And so, uh, to understand, though, but before we jump into kind of these seven definitions that they were making of Jesus, to help us kind of get the setting that's taking place, uh, we're going to zoom in on a couple verses that Matt hit on last week. And so, in John 6, verse 2, it says, And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus wasn't just kind of meandering through Israel. He wasn't just kind of saying some things, and he had a few people that were intrigued. There were large crowds that were following him. He had said things. He had done things that had proven some legitimacy of this guy is different than the rest of us. And because of that, people were traveling from from Capernaum to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to to the area of Galilee. People were traveling to see this man. So we we have to see that. And then verse 4, it says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. This was an eight-day celebration at the time that the Jews would have to celebrate the fact that God had pulled them out of slavery in Egypt so that they could have freedom in a promised land in Israel. Moses had led them through the wilderness with his brother Aaron for for 40 years. Joshua leads them into the promised land. 
And so they're, they're here during this, this time of year, traveling from around that area all the way to Jerusalem so that they, they could celebrate with one another this Passover, break bread with one another. And the final thing that's helpful for us to see in John 6 is verses 10 and 11. It says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Not only were there crowds, there were crowds following him that had needs, physical needs in this moment. Jesus sees that need, and what do they do but have a moment and a meal together. Jesus turns five little loaves and two little fish into this massive long john silver sort of celebration and people are leaning in they're like all right like like he's providing food for us like i'll take free long john silvers and jesus provides that and so going into to kind of these definitions that the world was having on jesus is helpful for us to see those things and so the the first way that the world was defining jesus we can see in verse 14 verse 14, it says, when the people saw the sign that he, that's Jesus, had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. The Jewish people had a pretty rich understanding of the Old Testament. In, in order for them to, to know the scriptures, they often would memorize passages, pass them along from generation to generation, and so as Jesus is, is kind of preaching to these crowds and at times feeding these crowds, if you can just imagine them talking to one another in this moment, verse 14, there's this chatter that's starting to happen of like, hey, this might be the guy. Like this, this might be the guy from Deuteronomy, that coming prophet that was spoken of. You know, and they're fact checking one another like, wait, could it be? Like, wait, which guy? And the guy who hasn't been in the scriptures as much is like, I don't know what you're talking about. But many of them are starting to notice Jesus so much that they're saying he could be the prophet. In Deuteronomy 18, it says, And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And so there were some who, who were seeing Jesus, and they're like, That is the guy. That's the prophet that's spoken of in the Old Testament. And I think for many of the people that were there, they were hoping that Jesus would be a prophet because they hadn't had much prophet activity from the Lord in a while. A lot of their ancestors had. They had John the Baptist, but many of them did not have any sort of like clear message from the Lord besides what was in the scriptures. And so they had been called the Lord's chosen people a while back. But I think many of them are like, oh man, we want to be affirmed by God that we're doing a great job and that we're on track. And so maybe this is a prophet, and maybe he's going to tell us some good things. Maybe we're going to be able to tell our friends about the fact that we got to go see the prophet in the wilderness. And so people were saying, that, that might be what he is. And in doing that, they weren't necessarily wrong. Jesus was a, a prophet in part, but he was far more than that. And so they're limiting Jesus to prophet, saying, yeah, I think he's just a prophet of God, communicating God's message but not God. In verse 15, we can see one of the second ways that they were defining Jesus. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
trying to take him by force and make him king. I don't know how, but growing up, reading the Bible, like I, I, never, I never saw that. The people were, were trying to by force take Jesus to have him be their earthly king. I, I knew that that was something that they longed for. Like that was kind of their Old Testament problem too. Like, all right, Lord, like give us a king. Everything's going to get better. And well, he did and it didn't get better, but they got their king. And so here they are saying like, hey, we need an earthly king. Rome had been uh, in that area kind of ruling over them since 60 BC, sometime around then. And, and so they're like close to 100 years under Roman rule. And they're ready to not have to deal with that. They're ready for Caesar to be done. They're ready for Herod, the, the regional king, to no longer be ruling over them. And so they see him feeding the crowds, and they get excited about it. An emotional moment. It's like, man, he, he's saying all these things, and he's feeding us. Like, if he can do this, like, surely he can conquer Rome. And so they're pointing the finger, saying, hey, this might be able to be our earthly king. Their earthly trouble kept them searching for an earthly king. And I don't think they craved Jesus. I think they craved security. Those who were craving a prophet, I think they craved a prophet to be affirmed by God. Not because they necessarily wanted to be in good relationship with God. And here I believe that they are craving an earthly king so that they can have security. And we've done that before as well, haven't we? In verses 22 to 24, we're going to see a little bit more subtle thing that people were defining Jesus as. Or limiting Jesus to. Verse 22, it says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So to some, Jesus was a prophet. To others, maybe he could be a future earthly king. But to others, he's just someone worth checking out from afar. So Jesus had just walked on the water. He, he for some reason, decided to meet his disciples halfway. He's like, you guys just go out in the boat. I'm going to meet you halfway. Like, I'm going to use my, my paddle feet. Like, I'll meet you there. Don't worry about it. He doesn't actually communicate anything with them. Freaks them out. And so Jesus makes it to the other side, and they kind of like know that. They're like, wait, he, he made it to the other side, but he didn't go with the disciples. And so they're, they're like watching from afar. And so they get in boats, and then they go and search for Jesus as well. They might not say, oh, man, he's priest or prophet or, or king. But they're, they're saying he's worth at least being a fan of for a little bit. Let's see who this guy is. I think some of them, because they were traveling into Jerusalem for Passover, it again was kind of a story and piece of entertainment if they were able to see and understand more of this Jesus. Maybe not commit to him, but watch him from afar. In verses 25 to 34, we'll see another way that people were looking to define Jesus. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, so they did find him, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, 
but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you have that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave the bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So once they they find Jesus on the other side of the sea, they ask him, like, where did you come from? Like, when did you get here? Jesus dodges that question, and he calls him out. He's like, you guys, you guys aren't coming after me because of the signs. Some of the crowd had been. That's what it said at the beginning of John 6. But this portion of the crowd, when they're seeking him out, he said, you're not coming after me because of the signs. You're coming after me because you ate your fill of the loaves. Like, you want to eat more food. You want to get that bread that I have to offer. And so he calls him out. He's like, you, you are not here for me. You're trying to satisfy your physical needs that you have in this moment. And so rather than being in love with the person of Christ, they're in love with the gift. And so it's like the Santa Claus figure to them. They're like, oh, he's just going to provide us things. He's going to give things to us so that we'll be able to be satisfied when we're not satisfied. Reminds me of... And maybe just I did this, but, but the little kid, right, around Christmas time, excited to go to grandma's house. It's like, if you, like, if you talk to that kid, like, why are you excited to go to grandma's house? Like, of course, the grandma's going to be thinking, oh, man, like, yeah, let's hear it. Like, they're going to share, like, I'm so excited to go to grandma's so I can just tell her how awesome she is, how it's great to be with her, how it's fun to be in her presence. It's just a, a great, memorable time that... You're not going to take for granted. Like, that's not what a five-year-old kid is saying. Like, the the five-year-old wants to get to grandma's house during Christmas because that represents gifts. Like, grandmas buy way too many gifts that we don't deserve. But out of the goodness of their heart, they provide it. And in the same way, that's what's taking place here. They're just trying to get the bread that Jesus has to offer. They don't want to necessarily be with him. They just want to have what he could provide. They have their craving, and they're trying to control who Jesus was. And so as we continue, we're going to see a shift take place in verses 35 to 43 as Jesus begins to speak a little bit more clearly about who he is. The the people who had been excitedly following Jesus, kind of like green light, let's keep going sort of followers, they're going to hit a yellow light And they're going to see some concern and worry. And so let's read in the text, verses 35 to 43, as Jesus kind of goes from this blessing giver to to this corrupt son of a carpenter. That's how they're looking at him as. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. In verse 35, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, they shall not hunger. In 38, he says, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God. As Jesus begins to to paint the picture more clearly of who he's claiming to be, the people who had been following him with excitement suddenly are following him with, ah, maybe we're not going to follow him. This lingering question of should I follow him if he's claiming to have come from heaven. And so up until this point, we see that their delight was in what he did, but as he explained who he was, it turned to a distaste. So the Jews grumbled, or another word in the Greek there would be gossiped. So the Jews gossiped, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. And so they, they humanize him and say, that's just, that's just the carpenter's boy. And we know that carpenter, so, so why follow? And so they have this perspective of, Jesus, as as corrupt in their wonder and amazement, turns to critique. And that sort of attitude continues as we look at verses 51 and 52. 51, Jesus says to them, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so their grumbling turns to dispute with one another. And they're trying to figure out, like, what does he even mean by that? Like, like they're getting the vampire vibes a little bit here. I'm just like, all right, he's talking about the the flesh-eating stuff and and the blood. Like, like what's he getting at? And he goes from more of this personality of Jesus, the corrupt son of a carpenter, to Jesus, maybe a confusing cult leader. They're like, who is this guy to be communicating something like this? Like, we've heard of the prophets in the Old Testament. We know about them from our family members, from history. And nobody's ever said anything like this. And so their green light, let's, let's follow after Christ, is quickly turning a corner. As we read on to verses 60 and 66, we see he becomes... One that they cancel. Verse 60, when many of his disciples, so people that were following him, heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Verse 66 and 67, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And so we can see all within one chapter how quickly people get excited about the idea of God. But as he speaks, as he makes himself known, we can see the ways that we get cold feet, the ways that we start to worry 
that, hey, like, like if he's God, that, that means he rules and reigns. And he's not just history, but that has impact on who I am. And so by the end of the passage, they're confused and they're walking away. And so those are some of the ways that we can see in the text that the world has defined Jesus. There's other ways that we've defined Jesus before. But that's what we see here in the text. And so how does Jesus define himself, though? Let's read verses 48 to 51 as Jesus shares from his heart. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus saw and understood what was happening during Passover. He understood why the, the people who were following him would have been referencing Moses and Moses providing them with this manna in the wilderness. And Jesus understood that. And because he understood that, he takes this time, this very specific portion of their calendar year, to say, you know what? I'm the better bread. Like, yes, your fathers ate of this, this manna in the wilderness, but they still died. But what I have to offer you is not only bread in this moment, but an everlasting life that I'm inviting you into. And Jesus says, I am the living bread. I've come down from heaven. Eat of this bread and you will live forever. And so again, Jesus saw that the crowds were, were hungering, that they were thirsting after something, that they were searching for satisfaction in so many different ways. Some were trying to, to get out of their security issue. Some of them were, were trying to just have something worth talking about. And Jesus says, I see all of that, and let me give you something more. Let me give you the bread that lasts so that you may never hunger again. He mirrors the, the words that he uses in John 4 with the woman at the well. He's like, I got you, you need water. I'll give you water, and you'll never thirst again. And with that same authority and tone, he's saying that with food during Passover. He saw the need, and he was ready to meet it. And what else did Jesus see when he looked at himself? The resurrection and the life. Verse 54 says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is referencing his future sacrifice before them, saying, You know what? This flesh that you see is going to be beaten. I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die because of the sin problem that exists in the world because of you guys. But because I love you, because I seek you out, I'm offering you this now. And he shares that gospel story with them. Feed on my flesh, drink my blood. Referencing communion, I believe, as well. Saying salvation is in me through faith. You're going to be able to have true redemption. Passover was celebrating this earthly redemption out of an earthly slavery. But Jesus is saying, I have something far better than that. Through belief in me, you can have that eternal life through feeding on who I am, abiding in me. And so I think that's why everywhere that Jesus went, he brought life from death because he was the resurrection and life. He brought healing for the broken. And he proved himself far greater than anything anyone else was defining him as. 
And so in verse 14, when the crowds were saying, prophet, like, I believe Jesus was thinking to himself in that moment, like, yeah, like, I'm the prophet. Like, I am the, the better Ezekiel. Not only am I going to speak a message of God, but I'm actually going to breathe life into these dry bones. And he shows them, I'm the better prophet. And when they're trying to call him an earthly king, Jesus is saying in his mind at that time, like, I'm the king of kings. Like, yes, I'm a king. And I'm the king over all kings. And I'm not an earthly king, but I'm an eternal king. For a kingdom that you guys aren't even a part of. And then when the crowds are looking at him as a blessing giver, he's looking to himself saying, yeah, I'm a blessing giver, but I also am the blessing. I am the bread of life. Take of this and eat. And so the Jews in John, John 6, they're, they're wandering in the wilderness. They're hungry. They're craving after satisfaction. And they're looking for it, hoping that Jesus might fill their little needs. And Jesus offers them so much more. And 2,000 years later, here we are doing the same thing. And so again, the, the question as we look at this passage that, that you have to be asking yourself and that I have to be checking my heart on is how do I look at Jesus? How do I define Jesus? Because how I define Jesus determines how I live my life. Our perspective of him drives our lives. And so is he just a prophet to you? Is he just a, a person or belief system Worth watching from afar. A Santa Claus figure to receive and get things from. Or, or maybe you're in a place where, where you're beyond that. And you're like, you know what? Like when you said that Jesus was maybe a, a cult leader, like that's more of who he feels like. Like if he existed, he's over there. And I don't want to be a part of him. And so some have that perspective and what we do with Jesus is the most important decision of our life. Up on the screen there's a picture that I saw on the internet and uh, I was just scrolling through Facebook and I was like interesting and I thought it was like really something deep and spiritual but then I like read a little bit more and I think it's just a guy on Instagram that dresses up like that and like walks around areas and gets his picture taken. I don't think he, he might do it for, for reasons beyond the fans. But what do we see when we look at this picture? We, we see a little bit of water going on, maybe some mountains in the hazy background there. We see the sand and we see this phrase, live, laugh, love. And when we talk about our current culture and how most people define him, and how most people look at Jesus, I think most people look at Jesus like this. Like he's not in the picture. He's not in the periphery. He's not there. We don't have to consider him because he's not even an option. And for most people in culture, in America and beyond, I think people are very much looking after live, laugh, love. And then, yeah, like we're probably going to die. And there's probably this looming thing called death that could happen to me. But when it comes to, to God, like, I don't know. And so because I don't know, I'm going to leave him there, off to the side, off the screen, don't have to worry about him, and I'm just going to run hard after those three little words. And that's what most people do. It's I'm going to live life, I'm going to laugh when I can, I'm going to take the moments that I can. And as I wake up every day, that's what I'm going to live for. It's what I crave, it's what I'm going to do. 
Yet, at the same time, we look at statistics and, and the number of people that are like, man, I, I have no motivation, or, or I have no clarity on life, or I'm so confused, or I'm so depressed, and I'm so frustrated, but I don't know why, and I have things provided for me, or I'm working hard to provide things for me, but it's still not giving back. It's not satisfying. And we're in the middle of that struggle as a whole because he's not in the picture. And so most in culture say, yeah, maybe Jesus is worth checking out, but he's not worth following. I think others in culture, they would look at at Jesus and say, okay, I hear you, I see you, and I'm going to go to you if I ever need you in a low moment. And it's kind of this like, you're my crutch mentality towards Christ. And just like, I'm going I'm to seek you out when I need you, man, because that's just when I want you. And any other time, like, don't you worry about me, because I got my two limbs, like, I got my cravings. And I keep forgetting the other C. What's the other C? And I, and I got my, uh, my goodness. Yeah, there we go. You guys are listening. I'm not. I got my craving and control that I'm running after 100 miles an hour. And we're satisfied with that. And we're like, yep, God, I'm going to turn to you if I need you. And then I think there's others surrendered to Christ. And they've, they've come before the Lord either physically or proverbially on their knees before him saying, I'm going to surrender all of my life to you because I believe that you are the bread of life and I believe that nothing else in this world will satisfy. And when I look at that text, I don't see cannibalism, but I see a king that is calling me to be part of his family. And by the grace of God, there's people in our culture that are surrendering to Christ and have a relationship with the God who created them because of it. And so Christ offers his life so that we can live. And so this morning, if that's you and you're saying, yeah, I'm fully surrendered. Uh, I committed to, to, light, to Christ a, a while back, giving my life to him. The question for you this morning might not be as much of how do you define Jesus? But the question for you is more so, do you live like Jesus is the bread of life? Or is Jesus the guy who got you out of hell? The guy that you were close to 10 years ago when you were really strong in your faith? How do you interact with Jesus on a daily basis? Are you abiding in him? Like for, for me, my wrestle, like I enjoy, and this is subtle, it happens without me realizing it, but when I look at my life, frankly, I would say that I enjoy caging God but then uncaging this mission that he's given me. And so I get really excited about doing things for the Lord, but I do not do so well with abiding in him. And this text is calling us to be satisfied in him. And so are you leaning on Christ this morning? Are you leaning on Christ when you look at the course of your week? Are you going to him when you're in a place of need? Are you going to him when you're in a place of joy? And if I assess my life right now, I would say I'm not doing the greatest at that part. I'll run hard with the mission, but abiding in him, like even last night, my, my son, for some reason, he's like just over a year old, he uses Saturday nights to sleep the worst, and so like up way too late, and I'm like, I don't know why this kid can't be consoled, like I'm trying to be a good dad, apparently I'm not showing up, and, and I'm so frustrated, like I need to sleep, boy, I need to sleep, I need to sleep, and then pass him off to mom, mom takes him for a while, pass him back to dad, and it's like, was I going to the Lord in that? And as I'm like looking over the sermon this morning, I'm like, I'm an idiot sometimes. 
Like, like I need to go to Jesus in those moments. I need to be abiding in him. But also, I can't belittle him to a crutch and say, I'm only going to go to him then. Because he, he calls us to be always satisfied in him. And so the call for us as a church this morning is to let our deepest craving and greatest joy be Jesus Christ. And practically, what does that look like? It looks like abiding in him on a daily basis. Find a psalm that you love, that God uses to speak to you and meditate on that week after week after week. Have your go-tos in Scripture to meet with the Lord. He is near. It's just a matter of are we going to seek him? And the application is that, is that. It's abide in Christ. Get time with your maker. Carve out a weekend. Go on vacation with God. Bring a journal. Read a book. Seek him out in that way. And let's not miss the chance that we have to be in a relationship with the Lord of all, the King of Kings, who sought us out. And so let's pray and just sit on that as we go into this week. And so, Lord, I just praise you for your word, for the clarity that we can gain through it, even through cannibalistic Sounding phrases, God. And, and Lord, we do love you, though. And we, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made on that cross so that we could live. And we praise you that that resurrection happened, God, so that we can experience that resurrection too, God. And so I just pray over this church body. I pray over my own heart that this text would not just be momentary and a good thought or a good feeling, but something that I, I take with me, God. Meditate on knowing that you've called me into this joyous journey to find satisfaction in you. And so, Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.